This is a special Uncommon Sense podcast for 3 FM with Amy Mullins. The interview you're about to hear is with Elisabetta Ferrari. Elisabetta is a lecturer in Italian studies at the University of Melbourne, and she joined me to talk about the work of director and actor Vittorio De Sica, a founder of Italian neorealism whose work will be featured in an upcoming retrospective at the Melbourne Cinematheque. I'm going to welcome now Elisabetta Ferrari, who is a lecturer in Italian studies at the University of Melbourne, and she's also going to be giving a talk tonight, and it's all going to be about introducing everyone to the great Vittorio De Sica, who was a director and an actor of the 20th century, and we're thinking about a period which is really around World War II, post-World War II essentially, but a lot of his films have themes um, that were happening in Italy at the time, politically and socially, around war and obviously poverty and and class and family dynamics. So I'm very excited to be speaking with Elisabetta and I welcome you now. Hi there. Good morning. morning. Thank you. Thank you, Amy. It's a pleasure to have you and um, I'm really excited to talk about this great actor and director. I didn't really know his acting particularly well. I was only familiar uh, up until recently with his directing and particularly with his most prominent and well-known film, Bicycle Thieves, which I'll let you pronounce the Italian because I think (laughs) I don't want to ruin it again. So, Ladri di Biciclette. That's the Italian title, yes. Perfect. And, um, And so, I guess I said it's pretty iconic and it certainly does portray a time in Italian history and even European history that is, um, you know, really fascinating, but also quite uh, despairing, the situation post-World War II. And for people who aren't familiar with Vittorio De Sica's work and his early work, I guess, a lot of people have used a label of neorealism. What do you understand to be in in Italian cinema neorealism and what was Vittorio De Sica's involvement in this movement. Yeah, absolutely. So Vittorio De Sica is one of the directors that is considered really the founder of neorealism, which is a, a cinematic style that uh, started roughly uh, around 1943. It's always very difficult to put, uh, you know, a frame of time and lasted until about uh, the beginning of the 50s. Vittorio De Sica and other directors at the time, Roberto Rossellini, Lucchino Visconti, they are considered really the um, the, the start of this uh, cinematic style. It is a style that uh, looks at uh, recording and portraying in films reality, what is happening, what is, uh, um, what the people of the at the time are experiencing, and clearly. As it is, you know, a, a style of mid forties, so right at uh, at the period where Italy is experiencing the end, is going towards the end of World War Two, and also is experiencing the period of uh, nearing to the end of uh, fascism. Uh, it is a, um, a very important uh, period as. It looks at uh, at Italy and it looks at representing Italy in a complete different way from uh, the film that had preceded. So this 
this is just roughly just just to 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 try to un- to uh, to define what neorealism is. There are various reasons that really uh, led to neorealism. Uh, there are political reasons. There are economic and. Uh, more um, practical reasons, there are aesthetic reasons that lead to this period. Um, And on the way, film directors decided to present their topics in films. Uh, So politically, there is very much a change on what was happening before. There is this willingness to uh, try to portray and describe Italy as it actually is without plots that are constructed or full of artificial kind of, you know, stories. There are also some practical reasons for neorealism. Usually neorealist filmmakers prefer to, for example, film on location in the streets or, or, uh, you know, in various parts of the city rather than in the studios. And this was also for a practical reason because in this period, uh, most of Cinecittà, Cinecittà are the studios of uh, Rome, where most of the cinema production was carried out, uh, would have been not accessible or the infrastructure were really not there. In fact, uh, a lot of the studios in Cinecittà were used by uh, homeless people as, um, you know, a shelter. Uh, so there are also these uh, practical reason for for this mm. uh, and well if we're using this that as a point of contrast because you're saying that italian cinema before neorealism was quite different what for those who aren't familiar with italian cinema prior to neorealism what would you characterize it as what did it visually look like in an aesthetic way and um you know how did that differ from neorealism yeah yes well It was quite different if we consider that Italy for 20 years is going through a period of a fascist regime and a fascist dictatorship. So there is a lot of control in that period on the topics, on the stories that can be used in cinema. Censorship is quite strict and the fascist censorship and regime demanded that Italy uh, be portrayed in in a positive light let's say um, mm. there were a kind of a, a certain number of topics that were that were not really allowed to be used um, not just in cinema but also in theater in uh, uh, literature for example you could not talk about uh, suicides you could not talk about rapes you could not talk about talk about certain topics that were deemed to be too uh, controversial for the opinion. In that period that preceded, there are a lot of comedies, and the seeker stars in a lot of these comedies. He also directs uh, a number of these comedies. There are also a number of films that are, are trying to portray to say the the, the, the the idea of the Italian hero, uh, for example, quite a number of films that uh, portray the, the military uh, victories or uh, the experience of the Italian colonies, but also a lot of uh, comedies. Comedies are probably the films that are most liked and followed by the audience. 
Yes, and obviously if we're thinking about World War Two and also post-World War One, um, potentially comedies would lift the spirits of the nation in times of crisis or despair as well. Would that be an element? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, usually there are comedies uh, set in a kind of a middle-class environment. There are a lot of comedies that uh, in, in, in Italian are defined as il cinema dei telefoni bianchi, the white phone cinemas. And these are comedies that uh, uh, usually would be set in a middle-class uh, family environment uh, with a lot of uh, misunderstanding and uh, plot twist. Uh, usually there is a woman and a man and then, then, then you know that uh, the, that love interest will end up in a happy ending. So these are the kind of comedy that usually uh, the, the, the audience like and ask to see. The white phone was a symbol of the wealth of the time. It was a symbol of communication and also miscommunication. But Usually they are fairly conventional and traditional in the way the plot is resolved and in the way the roles are very defined. So women would have had roles of being mothers or wife. Uh, so there are very set roles for this. Mm. And in terms of uh, neorealism and uh, Vittorio De Sica's work, I was also interested that he has an acting background that you've just talked about and also a background in the theatre as well. And a lot of people nowadays would talk about directors who also have an acting background as having a special insight into acting and perhaps are maybe better directors because of it because they can relate to the actors they're trying to give direction to. I was interested in the actors in this film, Bicycle Thieves, because uh, Vittorio De Sica really chooses people who don't have an acting background and one of the cast members who plays Bruno Ricci who is the little boy a little son of Antonio Ricci who is the main character there was an interview with him as an adult uh, looking back on the casting of that film and he was saying that uh, to be honest he thinks he was chosen by De Sica because he was an ordinary person obviously I think there's something pretty extraordinary about him as a boy and um, his acting performance is quite amazing as is his yeah. father's yes. in the film um, but what do you, what are your thoughts and what's yeah. your understanding of how Vittorio De Sica was a director and how he yeah. shows his actors and how that relates to yeah. neorealism. So there are a lot of anecdotes about De Sica as a director and the actors usually used to say that De Sica used to play out all of the parts and show not just tell them what to do but really you know, go on stage and show exactly what they had to do. So he was a very very precise director in the way that he gave instruction of what the actors had to do. And and also, it was also very um, particular in the uh, in the choice of actors for his characters. Uh, for example, for Ladri di Biciclette, he he had a, you know in a lot of casting to try to find the perfect Antonio and the perfect child Bruno, and eventually he did. There is also a, quite an interesting story about this film because uh, um, by the time the Sica decided to film Bicycle Thieves, he was also well known in America because his previous film, Shusha, 
two years earlier had really been very positively received by American critics. And the producer, David Oselznik, who is a very famous producer, he's the producer of Gone with the Wind, for example, he was interested in this film and he was interested in co-producing Bicycle Thieves, which would have been fantastic because at the time, clearly, uh, funds to produce a film were always uh, scarce and, and, and difficult to obtain. But Osaznik asked the seeker to use Cary Grant as the main <laughs> actor. And the seeker, uh, th- there was a lot of debate and, and, and conversation in between the two, but he completely refused to have someone like Cary Grant. Clearly, Oselznik was thinking about uh, audience and numbers, whereas the seeker was thinking about the integrity of the work that he was doing. He would have never have worked with mm. Cary Grant. Uh, the seeker said, I want someone that has got blister on their hands. I want someone that can actually look and feel uh, that part. And the same was for the young boy. So uh, in most of the film that he produced during this period is neorealist films. He really is search and try to find that perfect actor that could, um, you know, fit perfectly the part he had in mind. Mm. Well, to be honest, from my personal perspective, when I was watching it the first time and even the second time, you know, seeing those two main characters and the actors who play them, I can't actually imagine anyone else playing them. It's just so perfectly cast. And when you talk about the hands and having blisters, Vittorio De Sica does actually show the hands of Antonio and you see his face up close in, you know, wiping it with his handkerchief. And there's this feeling that those bodies are lived in and they've experienced poverty and hardship and I know that uh, Lamberto Maggiorani um, yes Lamberto Maggiorani yeah, yeah he he was a factory worker yes he was uh, and yeah. was this is was his first part I believe it was his first first part and uh, um, apparently the seeker said to, to ask him to promise not to continue with cinema but I think Maggiorani did and wasn't very successful his career to follow but yes he was a, a factory worker and he was just chosen. Actually, he had gone to the casting with his own son, thinking of uh, um, having his own son playing the part of Bruno. But then the Sika saw him and decided that he was the perfect uh, actor for that part. Yes, indeed. Yeah. And uh, I mean, Bruno, who's played by Enzo Staiola, is just uh, fantastic. Oh, yeah. it, he is. He is absolutely <laughs> fantastic. Remarkable. He yeah. is r- remarkable. And you can see how well it works. Mm. Uh, there is another film that is not as well known by um, the Sica that is called Stazione Termini. And uh, he, this is a film that he actually produced with Ocell's Nick, uh, with uh, uh, Montgomery Cliff and uh, uh, Jennifer Jones. He had wanted uh, to have Jennifer Jones for quite a while. And the film, to me, is a beautiful film. I really like it. It's set in Rome in the Stazione Termini. But you have Montgomery Cliff playing the part of an Italian. So the casting there somehow doesn't quite work. Mm. The story is really interesting. The setting is interesting. But this, uh, and this was imposed clearly on the Sika, you can see that uh, 
it, it is not the same. I mean, there is something that is not really working perfectly there. Yeah. And I think with neorealism and the way that um, Bicycle Thieves is filmed, you really do feel like you're watching real life and the street scenes, which is the majority of the film is really filmed on the streets. Yes, it, it does is. feel so very much authentic. It does. It feels very authentic and it is very authentic. I mean, you can see these, uh, uh, the, the, the difficulty you can really connect, I think, with the struggle that these characters are going through. So uh, that's where I think the, the film really sets apart from other dramas or melodramas of the time, where you feel there is something that is very constructed, mm. whereas in neorealist films, you have a much more, I think that you, you almost feel a compassion for what is happening that is not just related just to the story, but it's more of a, a, a human compassion, if we can say that. Well, let's talk a little bit about the narrative and the story because mm. it is a very simple story, but I think that's why it's so effective and special. And it's really following a very brief period, a time period of, I yeah. don't know, about 48 hours, maybe a bit longer. Yeah. And it's predominantly between the father and son. That's the main relationship, yeah. although the mother is also very important and that whole family dynamic. Yeah. And I'm interested in your understanding of how this story and this narrative of hardship of trying to find a job after World War II and struggling for at least a year to even get get a job, then we see Antonio get a job at the beginning of this yeah. film, which he's so very excited, excited. by. And it, it means so much to for many reasons, not, probably not only his identity as a husband and a father and be a provider, yeah. but to just have that kind of sense of purpose and pride. But the bicycle becomes this very important part of the job and his ability to do this and to fulfill his role as a, a father, a provider. And, um, you know, and it, it's kind of the backdrop is this really struggling Italy post-war where jobs are just absolutely scarce and everyone's fighting tooth and nail to survive really what are your thoughts on the the narrative the story behind bicycle thieves and why you think it might be so effective um, as a story yeah the story as you said is extremely simple I mean it's it's really um, right at the beginning of the film we find out that, that the protagonist has just been uh, able to have a job after a long time being unemployed he needs to go around the city to attach uh, posters and he needs a bike and so in order to have his bicycle that it was actually he had left it at a pawn shop he has to retrieve it he's selling his own bed linen in order to have the money to retrieve it and I'm not really spoiling it because no, no. this is the first 10 minutes <laughs> of the film and finally he has got this bike so the, the, the bicycle is a, um, a symbol that is very important because the bicycle means mobility means for him to be able to have the job and provide for this family that had to sell bed linen to have some money so this is how poor they are this is really then the, the film it's a it's a quest uh, it's a, a search of Antonio and his son around the city to find a stolen bicycle and the the story is very really loosely based on a book that 
by the time the, the script was put together, uh, what remained of the of the book was just the title, really. Um, and the Sica worked with Cesare Zavattini. Cesare Zavattini is one of Italian's most important screenwriters and collaborated with the Sica in Shusha in this film. And I think they collaborated together until the 70s. So a very long and fruitful collaboration. And Zavattini is a precursor of neorealism. He um, he spoke about neorealism, he he, he wrote a lot about neorealism. And it was also Zavattini that wanted to have a very simple story. Uh, Usually at the time, uh, it wasn't just a scriptwriter, there would have been a team of them. Mm. Um, So much so that one that was in the team left right at the start because of not being able to come to a compromise. And in fact, one of the criticisms would have been, well, the plot is very simple. Yes, there is a father, a son and a mother, but the mother is nowhere to be seen after the first few minutes, mm. you know. So, and, and, and usually this is not something that happens in a plot in the cinema. You know, every character, we, we need to have an ending. And this doesn't really happen with Bicycle Thieves. But Zavattini, when he talks about the film, he says what he wants to try to portray is reality. And reality doesn't necessarily comes with an ending. And so Zavattini says, is every single moment that is important because it's every single moment that is portraying this reality of the the, the life of those people. Mm. And it's particularly, I mean, heartbreaking to watch. And as you say, you feel this compassion and empathy for the characters because you see that... uh, you know, Antonio is really so, um, I guess, excited about his role and the, the income particularly that he's going to bring in and what that will do for their lives and how that will change their life as a family. It's in the first day that his bike is stolen, you know, and we see this kind of, as you say, a quest yeah. to get it back, to get things back on track. But then there's also, as part of this quest, this really interesting and beautiful relationship between the father and the son, which... I feel like it's so nuanced and, you know, to me there's no cliché Oh, no, absolutely. Involved. There is absolutely no cliché. Mm. And when you watch the film and, and you see that the, the, the character of the father is really multifaceted, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's, uh, at times is not quite very likable, I would say. He can be very harsh with his son. He can be very forgetful. Um, so there is sometimes kind of a frustration as an audience when you watch the film because you can see what is happening in front of you. And in a way, the main protagonist is not seeing as much. And I think mm. that's what the Sika does a lot. It plays a lot with this idea of being able to see and not to see, with this idea of the gaze. We, we see that right from the start with, with the bicycle, uh, when the bicycle, the scene when the bicycle is stolen, uh, the audience, you, you can see it coming. Mm, and the yes. only one who is, is completely unaware <laughs> is Antonio, who has been so careful all along with his bike. And in right at that minute is distracted it seems quite distracted uh, during the film uh, but is uh, I, I suppose uh, there is a, a loss of identity there is a, a, a strong sense of difficulty for what is happening 
So um, we understand why he is distracted. At times he loses Bruno, you know, yes. along, the, along the journey. And, you know, Bruno almost gets run over by a truck. He doesn't even realize that what is happening. Mm. So I, I think that uh, De Sica and, and Zabattini really were able to construct uh, a character that is uh, um, so interesting and, and, and so well-rounded. Yes, and you mentioned the gaze, and I feel like their gaze and their eyes are very soulful, and a lot of the shots that are that are quite meaningful don't have dialogue. It's yeah. really about the face and what their expressions are saying at the time and their body language communicates more than words could. Yeah. What are your thoughts about how uh, Vittorio De Sica is employing the use of, you know, body language and, and facial expressions, which are, you know, it's so much about acting and embodying a feeling and a moment rather than text? Yeah, I think they are really... is so important in the film if we think a film like Bicycle Thieves I mean you could watch it without the audio and understand what is happening and see think of the difference with this kind of film and film of the previous uh, uh, decades they they were all based on communication and miscommunication and misunderstanding and there was all uh, a plot build on on these elements where this is really simple and it is very much on on the look and on the gaze. But another very important element in the Sika's film at this time are the use of children. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's fundamental the the character of Bruno because we look we we see a lot of what is happening through his eyes. Before um, Bicycle Thieves, uh, the Sika uh, produced uh, um, filmed. Shusha, again, is a story about two young uh, adolescents. Before then, there is another film that is called I Bambini Ci Guardano, The Children Are Watching Us, that is considered a precursor of neorealism. And again, is the story of a boy in a middle-class family, and the, the, the mother decides to leave the family for another man. And so is the story of the disgregation of this family and all of the negative events that um, eventuate from uh, uh, the uh, um, the separation and most of the events are looked through from the point of view of the child and again mm. even in this film the gaze of the child is so important so what the, the seeker is doing is able to strongly criticize the adults by, me, by, by showing them from the point of view of a child and the child mm. is the embodiment of innocence so I think it is a very interesting mechanism of what he's doing. Yeah. It also reminds me of something that I observed, and I wonder whether you agree or not, about Bruno, the character, because often there are moments in the film where you see him as a child and he gets upset and, you know, he has a, a typical kind of childlike response to certain situations. But there are other times where he almost seems like a mini adult and he acts in a very mature way and it seems like he's had to adapt to very difficult 
circumstances like poverty and has had to perhaps grow up earlier than most children would need to. He kind of has this dynamic of both maturity and immaturity. Yeah, I know, absolutely. And and, and at the start of the film, I mean, he's a mini copy of the father, even the way he's dressed. He's going to work already. He's so young and he's already going to work. The impact of what's happening in society is felt by the children and you can see it. So I think when you watch the film, you, you constantly may be thinking, what is what is the impact going to be with all of these events on the children? Mm. On the other hand, the children are also the hope and for the future. They are going to be the next generation. And... In neorealist films, I'm thinking of a film like, uh, for example, Rome Open City by Roberto Rossellini. Uh, there is a fantastic scenes at the end with these children that walk away because, and, and there is this representation of the children that represent the hope for this society. I think that we need to consider that uh, the end of fascism for Italy also meant the end of a certain constructed identity. So Italy needs mm. not just to rebuild the country, but they, it needs to rebuild an identity. And putting a lot of focus on children, I think it is metaphorical of this need to build a fresh identity, a new identity. Mm, that's really an excellent point, isn't it? I think Italy's experience pre-war and also during the war is quite unique and different from the you know French experience or the English given that they were not on the same side and uh, they were experiencing yeah. very different things yeah. um, and obviously yeah trying to come back from something that's so difficult is is hard and I think even in the the scenes like at the beginning and in the middle where we see this landscape and and maybe I'll give an example. At the beginning, we see um, we're introduced to Antonio and he's sitting on the ground and there's just like dirt and broken stones and buildings that look like they've been bombed out. And, yep. you know, you can see bullet divots in walls. It is a quite desolate environment that we see at certain times. And, and I guess that means that the parts of Italy and parts of Rome are also really, I guess, a character in the film. Yes, yes, I agree. Absolutely. I mean, Rome, the city, is a character in itself. Mm. Uh, it is not a, 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 an environment constructed in a studio. It's that real Rome that is there that needs to be rebuilt. And in later films of the Sica, we see that beginning of uh, the construction of the city that are being rebuilt and the difficulty that that creates as well. Mm. Um so yes it's it's the 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 use of the location is uh, really fundamental paramount in the whole stories um yeah and you mentioned there that you know obviously Vittorio De Sica was pretty prolific and he had a, a range of films that he produced and created yeah a lot <laughs> a lot Look, he direct he directed about 35 films but he acted in 161 wow. which is a lot of film mm. so he was a very prolific actor he had a very unusual life um he had two families at the same time and uh, the seeker was also a gambler so a lot of the choices that uh, for him as an actor they were often for financial reasons mm. so so a lot of his films especially after this period uh that 
some, you know, you, you would wonder why a, a, an actor or a director of his uh, level would accept to do these kind of films that are, you know, well, forgettable, let's say. They were, um, you know, the, the, the reason were really financial reason because uh, he was, a, you know, a, a composite gambler and he, it was uh, for all his life. And there are some elements in uh, Bicycle Thieves where we're talking about the husbands and their problems with alcohol, their problems with gambling, and yeah. that is even raised as it is social raised. issues. It is raised. And in fact, in a couple of films, he plays the seeker, the gambler, you know, <laughs> that doesn't have any money. And it's, it's very ironic because yeah. you know that this is in fact, uh, you know, his life. So he was a very prolific actor. And and also, th- this period of neorealism, it didn't last all that long because although the legacy of neorealist films can still be seen today, I can still watch mm. film now and think, oh, yes, I know where this is coming from. Neorealist films, they weren't really all that successful with the audience. You know, Italians didn't really like them all that much. They didn't really embrace them as the comedies. Mm. So maybe that for, for, for the audience, I mean, it is understandable. Um, they are going through a very difficult time and maybe cinema would have been an escape rather yeah. than so confronting. Yeah, seeing their lives reflected Seeing back. their lives reflected. Mm. But they became very acclaimed by critics and other filmmakers because of the importance, because of the change that they represent. And I suppose because they are showing, this film are showing that you can tell a story that is that simple Mm, mm. and is not constructed. Yeah. You have to watch it is basically the message. You have to watch it. I think so. Oh, yes, you have to watch it. Absolutely. And it would be great if people could see it on the big screen because it would make, I think, a a big difference to really immerse yourself in the situation and really, I guess, be enveloped in that beautiful relationship that we see on the screen. Oh, yes. I think it's a great opportunity, this mm. uh, uh, retrospective of the Melbourne Cinematheque. And there are a number of very interesting films. And you can really see uh, how, uh, you know, different in, in genre and the scope they are. And uh, um, it's always, uh, you know, uh, such an opportunity to watch mm. them on the big screen. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and it's so great that we have a number of films um, that will be showed over a number of uh, weeks. And for the first day, which is tomorrow, February the 12th, uh, Bicycle Thieves is f- up first at 6.30. Yep. Then there's uh, Miracle in Milan at 8.10 p.m. Um, that's the first week. And then there are a number of other of uh, De Sica's films. One of his later films, The Garden of the Finzi Contini's from 1970. Also, the one you've just mentioned a number of times, Shoeshine. Shoeshine, mm. yeah. Oh, the, the Italian title would have been Shusha. That that's what the, the boys would have called out to people to have their boots shine. So a lot of American soldiers at the time were in Rome. And so these young boys, just to, to, to raise a little bit of money, they were shining boots. And that's mm. what they were saying to the soldier. They would say, shusha. <laughs> <laughs> that's really wonderful. And then there's some more Two Women, which is uh, the week after February 26th, uh, Marriage Italian Style, which is one of those kind of traditional comedies with yep. the relationships. And also, yeah, there's just so many other options that you might want to 
to explore and find out for yourself if you um, don't get along to some of these films. But just, I guess, to finish our discussion, are there other films not in this retrospective that you really love of Vittorio De Sica? Because he has a number of other films in this neorealist period. Yeah. I think one that uh, is not in the retrospective is Umberto D, mm. which is a, a, a beautiful film. And uh, in fact, is uh, De Sica said it was one of his favourite films, the one that uh, he was mostly proud of. Umberto was also the name of his father. It's not a story about his father. It's a story about uh, a, a, a retired man, a pensioner. And it's a story about uh, the city and about uh, the loneliness of the city and all people. So it's really touching. Mm. And that's a, a film that I really like. Another one that I really like is Stazione Termini, uh, which is a film, uh, it's, it's the film he produced with uh, um, uh, David Oselznik. The setting is interesting. The whole film is set within the Rome train station that had just been built and uh, is more of a melodrama. But I'm, I, I, I love melodramas, that's, that's why. But it's a very interesting story of two characters and all other stories of people that move around in the train station. But yeah. also The Children Are Watching Us is a very interesting mm. film, uh, very controversial for the time. So... Hopefully people can get along. And if they can't get along, that Bicycle Thieves is quite readily available. Yes, it is. Yeah, it's the most easily accessible for those who might want to watch it from home, which I know you can do uh, through Apple and iTunes and Google Play. And I own the DVD. You can buy the DVD in many places. And it has actually been restored. It Um, has been restored. But uh, it's always so good to see them on the big screen. And a a film like, for example, The Garden on the Finzi Contine is beautifully shot and it's really mm. nice to see it on on the big screen yeah now i hope people can get along to your lecture tonight if they're interested Thank to you. explore more which i'm sure they'll be excited to do now that they've heard some of what you you know know about this wonderful subject and vittorio de sica's work so your lecture is tonight it starts at 6 30 yeah. runs until 8 p.m yeah and it is an really an introduction to the actor and director vittorio de sica and it is at 233 domain road in South Yarra and it is really just wonderful to see that it's kind of supporting this retrospective. Can you uh, perhaps share with us the title of the institution who is um, putting on this lecture? Uh, uh, Istituto Italiano di Cultura, so the Italian Institute of Culture in uh, South Yarra that is collaborating with the uh, Melbourne Cinematheque uh, with this retrospective. Excellent. Well, Thank you so much for coming in. It's been such a pleasure to talk with you about this and to see your passion for cinema and Vittorio De Sica. And uh, I really do hope that people get along and that they at least watch Bicycle Thieves. So I know, um, you know, that people have had access to such a beautiful moment in cinematic history. Thank you very much, Amy. Thank you for having me. I've been speaking with Elisabetta Ferrari. She is a lecturer in Italian studies at the School of Languages and Linguistics at the University of Melbourne. And we've just been talking about the director and actor Vittorio De Sica and the upcoming season and retrospective that's being put on by the Melbourne Cinematheque. And it starts tomorrow night. And I believe it's at the Capitol Theatre because ACME is being renovated and um, getting it. Uh, self together so it's a wonderful cinema that you can visit which is uh, off Swanston Street I'm Amy Mullins and you've been listening to the Uncommon Sense podcast
Uncommon Sense is a radio show broadcast on 3RRR FM in Melbourne every Tuesday between 9am and 12pm.